All right, be honest. How many of you are excited to be here today? All right. Listen, you ought to be excited. You know, I, I was, um, heard something the other day that's kind of changed my attitude a lot of, in a lot of ways. Uh, one of the, uh, um, in fact, I'll tell you what, it was, it was my football team, Georgia. Kirby, that's not a joke. Kirby, at the beginning of the of fall camp, had a, a, a psychologist come over and speak to the team. And he said something to the team that when I read it, I said, man, that's just one of the greatest things I've ever heard. He said, if you will change one word in your life, it'll change your life. Change the word from have to the word get. He said, you don't have to go to practice. You get to go to practice. You don't have to lift weights. You get to lift weights. And he, I thought, that's just changed my life. You know, you don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. You don't have to hear me preach. You get to hear me preach. So it, it just suddenly just changed your life. So anyway, I am so thrilled to, to be uh, with you today. I've got a word from the Lord. I want to say a welcome to those who are at our campus at Mill Creek, those who are watching online, those who are watching by TV. We're so grateful that you joined us today. Gary Eugene Holmes and Ace and King had never met each other before. They will probably never meet each other again. Gary is a full-grown man. Ace was a three-year-old boy. And Gary's life is ruined. And Asen's life is over because of two words, road rage. Asen's grandmother, Kim, was taking her three-year-old grandson, Asen, out on a shopping trip. And at a stop sign in Little Rock, Arkansas, a man walked up to their car, fired a bullet into the cab, and killed that three-year-old boy. A woman who was riding in Holmes's car told the investigators he was angry because he thought the grandmother was tailing him too closely. The boy, three years old, shot in the back, died later that night in the hospital. So because a guy flies off the handle and loses his temper in the heat of the moment, he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison while a family is going to mourn the loss of a three-year-old boy for as long as they live. Now, probably most all of us in this room at one time or another, we have flown off the handle at some time in our life. Maybe it was on the road. Maybe it was in your living room. Maybe it was in the office. Maybe it was on a football field. Maybe it was on a golf course. Maybe it was over a business deal. By the way, that phrase, fly off the handle, I went back and studied it. It goes back 200 years, and it refers to a loose axe head that will sometimes fly off a handle. Because when, when an axe head flies off the handle, two things happen. The axe loses its head and somebody gets hurt. Same thing is true for us. When we fly off a handle, we lose our head and somebody always gets hurt. It's an age-old problem. And I know that because it almost ruined the life of one of the greatest kings who ever lived. If you are a guest of ours today or you've never seen us online or whatever, we are in a series I'm enjoying so much on a man by the name of David. We're calling it Life Lessons from a King. And today we're going to learn how to keep our anger in check because flying off the handle has a 100% success rate. Every time you fly off the handle, you're going to crash land your life. And by the way, you may say, well, I don't really have a problem with anger. Well, then what I'm about to share with you in the message today is going to apply to you in every area of emotions you can imagine. Maybe your problem is not anger. Maybe your problem is bitterness. 
Or maybe your problem is not bitterness. Maybe your problem is jealousy. Or maybe your problem is not jealousy. Maybe your problem is regret. Or maybe your problem is not regret. Maybe your problem is fear. Whatever it may be, I want to confess to you that the two things in my life, and I'm just being transparent, the two things in my life that have gotten me in trouble more than any other two things are my temper and my tongue. And I've learned that they're interrelated. I mean, let, let me just, let's just be honest with each other. How many times have you ever said something in the heat of the moment, and maybe you even really meant it at the time you said it because you lost your temper, but you really didn't mean it, and you wish you could take it back? We've all had those times. We, we said something just on the spur of the moment. We knew the moment we said it. We shouldn't have said it. We may have meant it in the heat of the moment, but really deep down we didn't mean it, but we said it any, anyway. How many things do you wish you could take back? How many things, times do you, things do you, do, do, that you've done that you wish you could walk back, but you never can go back, and it all happened just because you flew off the handle, just because you lost your temper? And listen, let's be honest. Usually, the reason why we lose our temper is because somebody hurt us, somebody has done us wrong, and therefore we want to hurt them. As has been well said, hurt people hurt people. It's true. Hurt people hurt people. Well, King David almost fell into that same trap. So today, we're going to deal with the revenge factor part two. We looked at the revenge factor part one last week. And by the way, if you missed that, you can go back and watch it online. Go, you can go to our, our website, our media website, touchinglives.org, or you can go to crosspointchurch.com, either one, and you can pick up last week. Today, we're going to look at part two, because there's actually two parts to this, this, this weakness that David had in his life. And this story actually has three characters and three parts, and it teaches us how to avoid flying off the handle and crash landing. So if you brought a copy of God's Word this morning, want to look on with me, we're in 1 Samuel. It's a real easy book to find. You just start at the very beginning of the Bible, and you won't go about six or seven books. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now, before you ever even think about flying off the handle, before you even think about giving in to your bitterness or giving in to your fear, are giving in to your jealousy and your envy, always ask three questions. Number one, who is causing my anger? Who's causing my anger? Now, the first character is the villain who instigates the problem, all right? His name is Nabal, N-A-B-A-L, and we'll pick up his story in 1 Samuel 25. A certain man in Maon, in fact, when I first read that, I thought he said Macon. I thought, I didn't know he was from Macon. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. Now, this is important. Keep this, remember this about her. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman. Every time you find you know, details like that in the Bible, there's a reason for it. But her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. Now, Nabal does have two things that are going for him. All right? We were told this in the passage. First of all, the guy is wealthy. All right. By the way, you know what the Hebrew word is there for wealthy? I'm not making this up. The Hebrew word there for wealthy means heavy. In other words, he was loaded. All right, This guy was loaded. He's got plenty of money. He's got plenty of meat. 
He's got this big mansion. He's got a lot of servants. I mean, he is one set dude. And that's probably one of the biggest reasons why he's married to an intelligent, beautiful lady. That's the second thing he's got going for him. So the guy's wealthy and he's married to a knockout woman. Now, it was his wealth that almost got him killed, but it was his wife, as you're going to see, that saved his life. Because we're told here that Nabal was surly. He was harsh in his dealings. He was extremely selfish. As a matter of fact, we know that because of what Abigail, his own wife, said about him. And this is what Abigail says about her husband. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. And she's saying, she's talking to David. She's, my husband's a wreck. My husband is no good. He is just like his name. His name means fool. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men that my Lord sent. We'll come back to why she's talking like that in a moment. But remember, she, he's called here a fool. She says, he's a fool. Now, in, in Scripture, you need to remember that a fool is not someone who's just uh, stupid or dumb or doesn't know a lot. Actually, in, in Scripture, a fool is someone who has no time in their life for God. They don't make any space for God whatsoever. So this is the man that David is about to deal with in the middle of the wilderness where thieves and robbers abounded. Because now I'm about to set up this whole story, and you're going to see why David was about to fly off the handle. David had about 600 guerrilla fighters who were kind of like Robin Hood and his merry men, okay? Except they weren't robbing from the rich to give to the poor. They were actually protecting the poor who were working for the rich. Here's what was going on. Nabal had a lot of sheep and he had a lot of goats. He had a lot of flocks. Well, there were robbers and there were thieves that would always roam the countryside. And so you had all these shepherds out there. Shepherds were not warriors. They were not fighters. They were just shepherds. And they were powerless against these robbers. So David and his men, just because of the goodness of their heart, they were kind of like uh, uh, guardian angels, if you will. They were kind of like Robin Hood. And they would guard these, help, help these, guard these shepherds who were doing their job so that the, the, the robbers would not come and the thieves would not come and they would steal the flock away from the owner of the, of, of the sheep. So according to the custom of that day, when it finally came time to shear the sheep, and, and to go sell the wool and sell the, the, the mutton for, for money, it was common for the owner to set aside a portion of the profit as a reward to these good guardian angels, as a reward to these Robin Hoods. It was kind of a custom you'd set aside, you know, a portion of the profit and, and, and you, you know, as a way of saying thank you for protecting my shepherds. And by the way, thank you for protecting my flock because I wouldn't be selling this mutton and this meat if it were not for you. So David and his men, they've been protecting Nabal. Now, he's never met Nabal, but they've been protecting Nabal and his shepherd employees and protecting his assets. So they hear it's sheep shearing time. They know it's time to, that Nabal's going to the market. So they realize it's, it's payday. Payday is time you know, to, to show your, your gratitude. And so they reach out to Nabal and they do it in a very, very gracious way. David sends 10 young men uh, to Nabal and they greet Nabal and they, they, they give him uh, warm greetings and they tell him who they are and he knows who David is. And so they just are kind of requesting a little kickback, if you will, for their security services. Now, I want you to understand something. This is not like a mafia shakeup. It's not like Nabal found a dead horse in his bed, okay? It's, it's nothing like that at all. I mean, they're, they're just really, they're just asking for the customary appreciation gift. And David's not even asking for a lot. Listen to what David says. He says, please give your servants and your son David 
whatever you can find for them. He's not naming a price. He's not giving a fee. It's nothing exorbitant. He says, look, I believe you to be a fair man. We have risked our life protecting you and your men and your flocks. We're the ones responsible for you making all this money, but we're not extorting you. Just give us whatever you can find for them. David's request is not unreasonable. But Nabal's response is totally ungrateful. Listen to what he says. Nabal answered David's servants. Who is this David? First of all, everybody knows who David is. All right, this is just, that's a crock. All right, he knows who David is. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water, parenthesis, that I'm conveniently forgetting I wouldn't have if it were not for David, why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered from my shearers and give it to men coming, now watch this, from who knows where? He basically blows them off, tells them to hit the road, to fly kite, they're on their own, and he's not gonna give them one red cent. So David's men return, and they relay the message. And let's just say it doesn't go over very well with David. Because you have to understand, he and his men are hungry. They need the food. They ought to have the food. They deserve the food. They work for the food. They put their lives on the line for the food. And now David's thinking to himself, am I gonna let this idiot Nabal, am I gonna let this fool named Nabal stick it to me? So now David's got a decision. What's he going to do? And the decision that David is about to make, either way, is gonna be a life-changing, character-determining decision. And what David doesn't understand is, and what we wanna tell David, but we can't yet, is David, think it through what you're about to do before you fly off the handle, before you lose your temper, you might wanna consider who's causing your heartburn. So I want you to remember this. Be careful, listen to this now. Be careful before you let someone else or something else decide how you are going to act. Be careful before you let something else or someone else let make, uh, decide for you how you are going to act. So the first question you've got to ask before you fly off a handle or before you get bitter or before you get resentful or before you get fearful or before you get jealous is, okay, Who's causing my blank? Who's causing my bitterness? Who's causing my anger? Who's calling, causing my fear? Who's causing my resentment? Who is causing my jealousy? So in, in this case, David did not need to let a fool make a fool out of him. David did not let, need to let a fool, Nabal was a fool. He did not need to let Nabal, a fool, make a fool out of him. I'm, I'm gonna get, again, just be honest. I've let more than a few fools make a fool out of me. Trust me, I really have. So, number one, we need to ask the question, who is causing my anger? Number two, who is counseling my anger? Who, who, who's counseling my anger? Who am I talking to about my anger? Now, David and his men, they have laid their lives on the line helping Nabal keep his sheep and make his money. And Nabal basically tells David and his men, get lost. So again, how's David gonna respond? 
How's David going to react? What is David going to do? Now, just to be honest, all of you, in, you're in David's position. You're hungry. You're tired. You've laid your life on the line. You could have been killed protecting a man you don't even know. You did it out of the goodness of your heart, and he tells you to go fly a kite and take a hike. What would you do? How would you react? Well, it's short, but it's not sweet. Because now David, now Nabal, who refused to give just some lamb chops, all David wanted was just give us a little money. Give us some lamb chops. Give us some bread. Give us some milk. No, I'm not giving you anything. Well, he's about to pay with his life because here's what David, here's how he reacts. You ready? David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. Not healthy for Nabal, right? Each of you strap on your sword. In other words, David's already made his mind up. I'm not gonna get even with you, Nabal. I'm gonna get more than even with you. Oh, buddy, you don't know what you have asked for. I'm gonna kill you, and then I'm gonna take the lamb chops, and then I'm gonna take the bread. And there would be a lot of people who'd say, David, you're justified, you've earned it, you deserve it, so I did. the guy's a fool, the guy's surly, the guy's selfish, nobody will miss him if he's killed anyway. Take him out. And that leads to the second character in the story, his wife, Abigail. Because here's what happens. One of Nabal's servants who sees all this happen and hears all this happen, he goes and tells uh, Abigail how David had been treated by Nabal. And he talked to her. She didn't know who David was. and She didn't know all this was going on. But this servant tells Abigail how good David had been to them and how evil Nabal had been to them. And Abigail swings into action. Here's what she does. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seers of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins and 200 pressed, hundred cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys, which by the way, that's all Nabal had to do and everybody would live happily ever after. Then she told her servants, go on ahead and I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Now this is an important part of the story. Abigail was not doing this for Abigail. Abigail wasn't doing this for herself. She didn't have anything to fear from David. She hadn't done anything to David. She wasn't gonna be harmed by David. But I'm gonna show you something. This is, this is why you ought to read your Bible. You really ought to read your Bible because what happens next, Hollywood couldn't make this stuff up. I, I'm just saying, Hollywood would have never thought of, thought of this. So watch what happened. Don't miss the rest of this story. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. In other words, David is steamed. He's, he's still talking about it. He can't get it off his mind. He's still, he is hot as a firecracker. He's, I can't believe this idiot. I put my life on the line. I've guarded him. I protected him. Never asked anything for return. The guy won't even give me a lamb chop. I mean, David is hot. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David. Now he's getting serious. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning, now watch this, I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. 
I think David's angry. I think he's had enough. He is so angry. He is so mad. He is so thrown off the handle. He says, I'm not just going to take you out, Nabal. I'm going to take your kids out. I'm going to take your sons out. I'm going to take your servants out. I'm going to wipe you all out. Even the people who've done nothing to David, the people who've done no, no harm to David, David is so mad, he says, I am taking you out. Any male that has any blood relation to you, they are dead. So now get the picture. You got David, 400 of his mighty men. They're coming up this ravine. They're all angry. They're all worked up. If David worked up, Everybody's worked up. You know, David was like mama. If David ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Everybody's angry. Everybody's upset. And here's this one woman riding up this ravine on this donkey. And she stands up to 400 battle-tested, hungry, angry warriors. And she gives the longest speech by a woman in the entire Old Testament. And she gives David some great Counsel. Men, listen, by the way, let me just kind of kind of put something aside here. If you're like me and you're married to a great woman, and most of you are, can I give you some advice? When your wife talks, listen and listen real hard. Because I mean, I tell you something, I cannot tell you all the times I would have stuck my foot in it if it had not been for Teresa. Okay? So just a little word of advice. Abigail gives some of the greatest counsel you will ever read anywhere in any situation. Now listen to what she says. Now remember, she's never met David. She knows David. She's never met him. She knows she's heard of him, doesn't know who, you know, and she doesn't know how this is all come out, gonna come out. She says, she's talking to David. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool. And folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I didn't see the men that my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live. Now, watch what she does. She is slick. Since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. Now, I want to tell you something. She has a PhD in psychology. This woman knows how to deal with a guy. And I mean a guy that's angry and a guy that is hot and a guy that is binge on revenge. So bent on revenge. So she looks at David and she says, David, listen. I know what kind of a guy my husband is. I'm married to him. I live with him. And let me tell you something, after living with him, He's a fool. That's his name. He is a fool. And here's what she says. But David, you're better than him. He's a fool, but you're not. He has no room for God in his life. God is your life. He is a nobody. You are a somebody. Don't bring yourself down to his level. David, take your eyes off of my husband and get your eyes back on God. It's a critical moment. Everything's hanging in the balance because at this moment in David's life when he's about to fly off the handle, do something in the heat of the moment, do something he will regret for the rest of his life, she gives him two pieces of advice I want to give to you 
The next time you think about giving in to your anger, giving in to your bitterness, giving in to your resentment, giving in to your jealousy, giving in to your fear, the next time you do that, remember two things. Number one, don't forget God. Don't forget God. Number two, don't forsake grace. Don't forget God. God can handle this. You can't. You don't need to. He'll do it for you. And don't forsake grace. Now, watch what she does. Watch what she does. Again, I'm telling you, this woman, I, I would not want to, listen, if, Ab, if, I, if I was married to an Abigail, I'd be broke. She'd have all my, she'd have anything. I mean, she'd get anything out of me she wanted. This girl is good. Because watch what she does. She, first of all, reminds him of his future. Please forgive your servant's presumption. She says, look, David, I, I'm just a nobody. I'm a woman, and I realize I'm taking a chance talking to you because I am a woman, and back in that day, as you know, women were not elevated like they should be today. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. Now, now watch this. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. You know what she's saying to him? David, you're going to be king. It's time you start acted, acting like a king. You're going to be a king. Act like a king. He's a fool. Don't act like a fool. You're a king. Act like a king. Don't let a fool make you do something foolish. And then she continues. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, and when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. Remember your servant. Now, stop and think about this. Here's what's going on. When Abigail heard that David was about to take out. Now think about, what, listen, this is Abigail. David is about to take out her mean, sorry, selfish, surly, foolish, godly husband. You know what she could have said? You mean you're gonna kill this fool I've been married to? You're gonna take him out? You're gonna get rid of my headache? I just hate it when things like that happen. That's what she could have said. But instead, she comes between David and Nabal. Say, so why? This is why she was a great counselor. Because this is what all great counselors do. Because the advice she gave to David, listen, it wasn't about what she wanted. It wasn't about what Nabal needed. It wasn't about what David deserved. All she cared about was what God wanted. That's all that mattered to her. When I have couples come in who are having difficulty to see me, one of the first things I say to couples is this, before I ever hear their story, I, 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 up front I say, you need to understand one thing before we get started here. I look at the husband, I'll say, I'm not on your side. I look at the wife and I'll say, I'm not on your side. I look at both of them and I'll say, I'm on God's side. I don't want what you want. I don't want what you want. I want what God 
wants. And that's what made her such a brilliant, beautiful, wonderful, wise counselor. Because all she cared about was telling David, this is what God wants. Now, incidentally, you got, I had to ask this question. I thought to myself, how in the world did a bright, beautiful woman like Abigail marry a loser and a fool like Nabal? I mean, how did that happen? And, and, and when I went back and did some research, I, I, I was reminded that most likely the marriage was arranged. You know, because back in the day, you know, guys and girls didn't date. There wasn't anything such thing as courtship. This couple had a daughter. This couple had a son. This couple said, I like your daughter. This couple said, I like your son. And why don't we let the two of them get married? We'd love for our, our families to get together. And that's probably how it happened. It was probably arranged. But it does remind me of the story of a man that got into an argument one time with his wife and he said, uh, you know, you do know that men have far better judgment than women. And to his surprise, she said, yep, I totally agree with you. He said, you do? She said, yeah, just look at us. You married me and I married you. <laughs> now, when you're about to fly off the handle and you're about to do something or say something, you may regret later Take advice, first of all, from God's word and take godly counsel. This is what God had done for David. He brings this woman into David's life so she could talk right out of the heart of God to a man after God's own heart and she could give him godly counsel. So question number one, right? Who is causing my anger or my regret or my fear or my bitterness? Who's causing it? Number two, Who's counseling it? Who am I listening to? What, what voice am I allowing to have influence in my life before, I'm a do, before I do what I'm about to do? Now, here's the last question. Who is controlling your anger? Who, who's controlling your anger? All right, now we come to the last character, and that's David. And now we know that David has got to make a decision. What he's about to do will be a defining moment in his life. All right, remember this. You know the old saying, for every action there is a, right, for every action there is a reaction. I want you to add something to that. For every action there is a reaction. And for every reaction there is a memory. For every action there is a reaction. But for every reaction there is a memory. Do something right now. I want you just kind of, you know how they say when, 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 when you're about to die, they say your, your life flashes before you. I don't know if that's true or not. But you know, you're about to die and your whole life flashes before you. I want you right now to let your whole life flash before you. Just, just, just kind of imagine your whole life. Think about all the memories that you just start going. Just go through your Rolodex right now. Think about all the memories that you have. I promise you, you only have two kinds of memories. Only two kinds. You remember things that you regret that you did. And you remember things that you rejoice that you did. Always two. Always two things. There are things you look back on and you say, I wish I hadn't done that. And there are things you look back on and you say, I am glad that I did that. Well, Abigail knows and she's trying to let David understand. David, what you're about to do, whatever your reaction is going to be to this action, you're going to have a memory. 
And he's gotten some great godly spiritual advice from Abigail because, again, she is a master psychologist. Okay, she's played every card in her deck except one. This is how good she is. She's played every card in her deck except one. Now she throws down the trump card. All right, here's the trump card. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, that was Saul, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. Now, boy, you talk about slick. What's this? But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. You rascal, you. You know what you're doing. Who's she referring to? Sling. Yeah, Goliath. This girl's good now. She's good. The pocket of a sling. She's taking him all the way back. Hey, talking about memories, David. You remember, I get chill up saying this right now. You remember the Valley of Elah? David's going, how can I forget? You remember standing up to that giant with just a few stones and a sling? And all of a sudden, David realizes he's facing a far bigger giant than Goliath. David realizes he's facing the giant of his own anger. He's facing the giant of his own desire to get revenge. He's facing the desire to take Nabal and a lot of innocent people out. And the God that delivered him from that first giant can deliver him from this giant. So in other words, here's what she was saying. She said, David, you remember Goliath? Yeah. You remember how you focused on God that day and you didn't focus on Goliath? He said, yes. She said, okay, now, don't focus on Nabal. Focus on God. <laughs> she got him. She nailed him. And look at David's response. Look at, the, look at how David responds. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and for avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. This is the first time in the entire story that David either mentions God or talks to God. Up to this point, he hadn't said a word to God. In fact, he probably didn't want to hear from God and didn't want to. This is one of those times we've all done it when we've said to God, how many times, let's be honest, don't look at me holy now. How many times have you said, God, sit this one out? I, I'm going to take this one. And that's what David had done. God, I know, I don't want to hear it. You just mind your business. I'm taking Nabal out. I'm taking his kids out. I'm taking everybody kin to him out. And all of a sudden, David remembers who's in control. And for the first time, he talks to God. And he remembers that God is the only one that should control our emotions. All of a sudden, he finally remembers, I'm not living for Nabal. 
I'm living for God. I'm not living for the money that he owed me. I'm living for God. I'm not living for the lamb chops and the mutton and the wool and the meat and the water and the milk. I'm living for God. I am not controlled by Nabal. I am controlled by God. And he learned a great lesson that day. Here's the lesson. The way to stay in control of every situation is to let God be in control of every situation. The way to stay in control of every situation is to let God be in control of every situation. Now, I could stop right here. And it's, it's a, well, that's a, that's a cool story. But we're not finished. Because I want to go all out Hollywood on this thing, okay? You came to the movie. You paid good money. Well, let's just see what happens next. Watch this. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise be to the Lord. Who is, <clears throat> he didn't care. Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrong, wrongdoing down on his own head. What God did for David was what David wanted to do, but because he let God do it, there was no blood on his hands, there was no regret in his memory, and there was no guilt on his conscience. See, it will always pay not to get in God's way. It will always pay not to get in God's way. By the way, let me tell you, there's an even greater lesson here. If you're tempted to fly off the handle, give God the handle and he'll handle it. I like that. I made that up, all right? If you're tempted to fly off the handle, give God the handle and he'll handle it. Now, remember, I told you we're going all Hollywood on this, right? When you go to the movie and you pay good money, I mean, let's all, let's all admit, how many, how many, we've all seen this. Have you ever been to a movie and it was a great movie, but you hated the way it ended, just despised it? Not this one. You talk about a happy ending. You talk about a fairy tale ending. Get ready for this. Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. His servant went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face on the ground and said, well, I'm your servant. I love this. That's a cool way to say yes, isn't it? I'm, I'm your servant. I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's service. And Abigail quickly, she could get on the donkey fast enough, quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. You can't make that stuff up. Hollywood could not come up with that. David not only got the lamb chop and the meat and the bread and the milk and no blood on his hands, no guilt on his conscience. He gets Abigail. I mean, God, did God, let me ask you a question. Did God take care of David, yes or no? 
Did God take, I mean, he gives David a wife who was good looking, brought good cooking. That's why I think Abigail is the Hebrew word for Teresa. Now listen. Can't wait for her to hear that. She ain't even heard this yet. Remember. So you've been listening? Everybody been listening? All right, so who's the hero of the story? Well, God, but I mean, humanly, who's the hero? Abigail, right? Abigail is the hero of the story. Now, Abigail never knew Jesus, but she was a great picture of Jesus. Think about this. She placed herself between David and Nabal, just like Jesus placed himself between us and God. She volunteered to be punished for Nabal's sins that she didn't commit. David died on, Jesus died on the cross for us for sins he didn't commit. She turned away the wrath of David, just like Jesus has turned away the wrath of God. And she became David's bride, just like one day we will become the bride of Jesus. What a great story. What a model Abigail is, just like Jesus. So there were three characters, remember? Three characters in this story. And each one lived on a different level of life. And I'm going to just review. If you were here last week, you remember this. Nabal gave evil for good. That's the satanic level. David wanted to give evil for evil. That's the sensible level. You hurt me, I hurt you. Abigail gave good for evil, which is the supreme level. And here's what I came to tell you today. We all can live on that level. We can but don't take my word for it. Remember that uh, little three-year-old boy that was shot and killed in that instant of road rage? You remember that? Well, after the guilty verdict that was rendered, Asen's mother, Gashin Bell, read a statement before he was sentenced. And she even said to the court, I want to make sure he looks me in the eye when I make this statement. And everybody in the courtroom was braced for what they felt would be a hurricane of rage and anger and bitterness toward him. But this is what she said. As bad as I want to hate you, I just can't. I forgive you. As bad as I want to hate you, I just can't. I forgive you. So you're battling a giant of anger, bitterness, resentment, fear, envy, jealousy in your life. Take the high road because that's where you will always find Jesus. Let's pray together.